sight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hour number two rolling right along this morning on Green and Growing. Glad you're tuning in. I've got DeMarco and Ann with me, and they want you to be a part of this show, too. 404-872-0750. Love the topics so far. Let's keep it going. I think we can help some folks this morning. Um, up next, first in hour two of the show, Jim in Sandy Springs. Hey, thanks for calling this morning, Jim. Good morning. Hi. I have a, a lawn in my front yard. It's emerald green zoysia. It's been there about 40 years. I started it myself. And it's always been very, very lush especially when it got an abundance of water. This year, on one side of the driveway only, there's a, a significant number of dead spots, some as large as, uh, say, the hood of your car. Mm-hmm. I can't figure out what's going on. It is not a, uh, a caused by drought. I know that. Okay. Now, have you looked closely at the blades of the, the areas that are affected? Do they have lesions, little brown spots on them, or is everything literally just the color of straw and it's dead? I have not looked closely at all. Okay. Brown patch. Brown patch is a little bit more widespread, um, and that's most obvious. At first, when I was just looking at the notes of your call, I was thinking dollar spot, because dollar spot would be spot on right now if the spots were a little more isolated and small, generally about the size of your hand. Um, That could change. But that was my first thought, given that we've had cooler nights and warmer days. I mean, still with it being close to 80 degrees a lot. Um, and, I mean, some drought, lack of rainfall could also bring that on as well. Um, but irrigation at the wrong times and the lawn not having a chance to dry out during the day if it's staying wet in the overnight hours also is pretty inducive to fungus and things like that. Um, look carefully at the at the, at the, the blades of the grass. Um, I'm not going to rule out dollar spot, but what the, what you're describing in larger patches makes me think brown patch instead of dollar spot but with dollar spot there would be lesions on the blade almost maybe rust color little brown lesions and things um either way you may want to go ahead and get a fungicide routine kind of in in your head some things do overwinter in the soil um so even though that that lawn is going to go dormant that could still be a problem in the soil and become prevalent again next year um so having a fungicide and and applying the right amount of fungicide is probably going to help knock it back a little bit. Um, and good practices could do good mowing height, irrigating when you need to, when we have had prolonged periods like we have with no rainfall, irrigating as early in the morning as you can before afternoon. That way it has all day to dry out. Um, what do you think? Well, the, the this particular area has never needed irrigation. Okay. O- other parts uh, have because I have a uh, uh, a lot of, some of this lawn is very close to rock below, soft rock, but it's rock. And uh, that has to be irrigated. But this particular part where this problem is uh, has never needed irrigation in 40 years. And it's always been very lush until mm-hmm. this year. The These spots, some of them are, are they're growing mm-hmm. or have grown, but this started probably six weeks ago. Yeah, I, uh, I just, I really, I believe it's due to... You know, the, the temperatures, we, we got a fake out back in October of a little bit cooler weather. And then it was like, oh, never mind. We got right back into the 70s. So I really think that that's having a lot to do with it. That's putting a lot of added undue stress on the lawn. 
um, when it's just trying to go dormant and trying to, you know, it's got the hormonal reaction of wanting to go dormant and it's still staying warm. So I think that that's some of the stress. Uh, what's your fertilizer regimen as well? Twice a year, I have Walter's uh, uh, Zosia chart. Yes, very and good. And I try, try to follow it, but uh, I don't always hit the mark. It basically, twice a year, fertilizer okay. and then uh, pre-emergent treatment. You're, you're doing everything right. And also, have you ever dethatched the lawn? Because thatch that's staying there at the base of the lawn, at the at the bottom of the blades of grass, that can also kind of help keep that moisture in. And that's not necessarily a good thing if there's a thick layer of thatch there at the base of the grass. Well, I always catch the clippings. So mm-hmm. there's uh, there's very little thatch. I used to I used to uh, dethatch and uh, or what do you call it when you take the plugs. Oh, uh, yeah, aerate, yes. That's so important, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't done either in a long time. Let's do that, too. Let's make sure that soil's not getting compacted, uh, that it's got some room to breathe, you know, aerating it and keeping up with that as well. You're spot okay. on as far as irrigation. You're spot on on fertilization, but it's just got to be something environmental that's not happy. So now that we're down to the soil, that could be it. If it's not been dethatched and it's not been aerated, that could have a lot to do with it, too. Um, but really good practices, and you sound like you're on, on point with that, may not become an issue. Um, Dollar Spot could prevent itself again in the spring as we're trying to warm up. If it warms up a little too quickly, this could become a whole cycle again. So do go ahead and start looking into a fungicide and having that. They're pretty effective against 99% of the fungus that's going to be in the lawn. So I would do that too. So Dollar Spot is just a particular uh, fungus. Yes. Yeah. Brown patch, Dollar Spot are most common. All right. Yep, yep. So either one of those, um, you know, good landscape practices, fungicides are going to be able to control either one. Um, but really start looking at the the blades of grass, too, to see. I, I think you have dollar spot, even though you described it as a much larger area. If you've got lesions on the blades, that's probably it. Okay, very yeah. good. All well, right. thank well, you. Yes, thank you, Jim. I hope that's at least a start. But otherwise, and you printing off that lawn care calendar off Walter Reeves' website, that is fantastic, is it not? That's a really good thing to lean on. Yeah, I find it very helpful. Yeah. Well, good luck. I know you've got that really good lush patch that we don't want to let go by the wayside. And and uh, lay off the fertilizer for now, though. I mean, generally, that's what we want to do is make sure, you know, you've got the fertilizer applications. But in a panic, don't do it now because applying nitrogen to something oh. that's going to try to go to sleep, you know, and go dormant, yeah. not good. But yes, in the back of your mind, the regimen that you're on and the timing you're on is, is good. Well, I fertilized about a month ago. Yeah, that's that's a little yeah. late, um, but that's okay. Yeah. I mean, you haven't done anything fatal to the to the lawn, so yeah. that's okay. All right, well, fingers right. crossed. Yes, you're so welcome. Fungicide, good irrigation practices of watering it early in the day. Hopefully, that will start to knock some of the fungus back. Four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty. Anthony is up next, calling from Madison, Georgia. Hey there, good morning. Good morning. How are you? What's going on? I just called in reference to a uh, little small spot that I grow items in and I have an okra plant that has grown over 13 feet tall in a wow. center block a four by four center block cool <laughs> so, and uh, I was just wondering is that common for them to get that tall um you know mine never did but mine were never super <laughs> happy um yours gosh a cinder block that is a cool way to garden I love that and I think it's underrated people don't Consider it enough. That's so perfect. But um, it is in the hibiscus family. You know, it gets those really big, beautiful 
hibiscus looking flowers on it. Um, and, right. and a lot of those can get pretty tall. So I wouldn't say it's out of the ordinary. Who I follow for okra is Mickey Gasway, who works at the mm. West Cobb Pike Nursery. She grows it every year, has a lot of success. And I've never really remembered her remarking on it getting that tall. I mean, she's only four foot something, so anything's tall to her. But uh, 13 <laughs> feet, that's pretty significant. So now right. that the fact that it's got that extra height, though, Anthony, you're still getting... You know, you got good production, right? Yes, I did. Matter okay. of fact, you know, and it's just standing there looking like a fishing pole, you know, a long <laughs> fishing does. pole with leaves on it to me, you know. That's but so I was just cool. getting fascinated by it, really. And now, how did you start the okra? Did you do it from seed or did you do it from that plants? Is. Two seeds. And Both it was those seeds. little, like, black looking BB type seeds, right? Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I picked them up and those. <laughs> yeah, those are really something because, like, when I did try it, I mean, I got plants. They just weren't really productive. But I soaked those in a little shot glass of water, like, overnight before I planted them. And I was so pleased that it was easier than I thought. I didn't even soak them. I just put them in the ground. Yeah, water. now 13 feet, you know, and and I would venture <laughs> to guess if, if production becomes low, if year after year yeah. you keep getting them that high, I mean, they're happy, they're healthy. But if production starts to be affected and you're not getting as many, I would top it just like you can a tomato plant too. When you take maybe a foot or two off the top, all that's going to do is just send energy back down to the plant and then maybe it'll kind of spur, you know, more production if that were an issue that was lacking. But since you didn't have it, man, enjoy it. That is a fishing pole. I like that. I can see it exactly now that you described it that way. (laughs) There's two of them standing there, you know. That's so cool. Now, what else have you grown in those cinder blocks? Just okra or anything else? Oh, no, I grew some uh, Tabasco. I grew some uh, chili peppers. I grew a whole lot of stuff. I have some collards and uh, kale in it right now. So, How are they doing? Did you When did you plant those? Maybe four or six weeks ago? Matter of fact, about two weeks ago. Okay, okay, and they're doing good? Oh, everything. I have collard leaves already just wide as my head already. So, oh, you know. my. Look at you with your green thumb. Holy cow. I like it. Well, hey, if you're on Facebook, I want to see a picture of that 13-foot okra tree or okra plant. <laughs> That's what it's called, a tree. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Anything taller than me is considered a tree. (laughs) Yeah, if you're on Facebook, hit me up and message me for the picture of that. I'd like to brag on you. Okay, all right. I'll put my ball shirt on and go ball. Oh, now, Anthony, now why'd you have to go and do that, man? (laughs) We're still friends. It's okay. We are friends. My husband's a Tennessee fan, so I have no choice but to be friends with him. Yes, we live under the same roof. (laughs) Well, all right, you put that Tennessee shirt on. You take a picture of yourself up against that okra and send it to me. I will. All right, have a great weekend. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it when people just, I mean, they have such good fortune and such good luck trying things different. You don't have to have that big bed. You don't have to have that crazy prepared raised bed and all that kind of stuff. Cinder blocks, good soil, some TLC. Anthony figured it out. 404-872-0750. Seth Hawkins with the Georgia Forestry Commission when we come back on WSB. And the update on the weather brought to you by Finley Roofing today. Cloudy and breezy with a high of 77. The full forecast comes up in less than 10 minutes. All right, time to go to the phones. Seth Hawkins has been with me every Saturday for the month of October. And now here we are, probably our final conversation. Uh, Seth with the Georgia Forestry Commission. Good morning. Hey, Ashley. How are you this I morning? Didn't, I didn't mean to make that sound so dreadful. Not our final conversation ever. <laughs> the <but> final like, <laughs> call of the fall week. There, there you go. Because uh, foresters are still really busy up in North Georgia. 
observing the leaf change color and now you know the falling leaves as well but we've still i mean we have not had a rain event or a wind event so seth there's still a lot to see yeah yeah so you know these nice cool nights and warm days have led to maybe the most vibrant leaf color season in you know recent memory at least in the several years um but also that lack of rain and everything while it did drive really good color also drove a little bit earlier peak than normal um usually this time of year i was looking at reports from past years and we were at peak this week, so we actually ran, you know, about a week early. Um, so up above the 3,000 feet, we are seeing pretty dramatic leaf drops. So when you get up to the higher, highest elevations in the state, you might see some bare trees more so. But you get down below 3,000, especially down below 2,500 on the highways mm-hmm. up in the mountains, we are at peak. I mean, it is beautiful. I know even in the urban environments, we got the northern red oaks coming in, the scarlet oaks, um, cherry bark oaks really going off around Rome right now. White Oaks really joining the show in North Central and Northeast Georgia. And we still, of course, have all of our understory showers, our sourwoods, our uh, smaller black gums, our sumacs, all that still showing a lot of great reds and oranges and understory. Um, our tulip poplars have pretty much started shedding all their yellow. But again, those oaks are really filling in in the overstory now. And the ginkgos are yellow and look beautiful. Finally, they've turned. Um, yes, yes. The ginkgos are solid, solid yellow. Any day now, we should see that nice, pretty little ring around the trees. Yeah, that nice yellow carpet. Now, you said to me, um, when the leaves start falling, that signals you as a gardener to do something. Yeah, yeah. So to me, um, you know, so trees, they drop their leaves. Um, a lot of native wildlife and insects use tree, you know, fall leaf color and fall leaf drop is kind of a bio signal to them. Like, hey, it's time to get ready for overwintering. For our uses, that's the time, okay, the trees are going dormant. That's a good, nice, safe time to start planting trees. So I heard y'all talking about it earlier, talking about planting fruit trees. You know, go ahead and get them in the ground in the fall. I know Arbor Day is in early spring, late winter, early spring. But really, I'm a big advocate of getting them in the ground in the mm-hmm. fall, letting those roots go ahead and get some growth on them and start getting ready and established for that spring. Now, what do you do for soil prep? Do you just go all in a tizzy and do all of these crazy things or keep it pretty simple? Yeah, yeah. So um, when I'm planting a tree in my backyard, which hopefully today I'm going to get actually a ginkgo and a silky dogwood planted in my yard this afternoon. Um, So I really like to take just a little hand rototiller and just till out a really big area. I mean, as big as you feel like you got the effort and energy to do. So the more compaction you can break up laterally, that's going to help the tree a lot. So the majority of your tree's roots are going to be in the top 18 inches of soil. And Roots really like to grow out more than they like to grow down. So if we break up that compaction nice and wide, make a nice, really wide, shallow hole, and that's a big mistake we see is trees being planted too deep. Right. As far as soil amendments, you know, I'm a big advocate of just using the native soil you pulled out of the hole. If you are going to incorporate anything, you know, maybe some compost, maybe some mycorrhizae spores. Um, but again, if you add anything in there, you just want to make sure it's really good and homogenized. You don't want to have different soil textures button up right up against each other. Uh, you'll end up with just wonky, um, asymmetrical root growth if you end up having that issue. Yeah, that's and that'll show on the tree as well, kind of one side a little more lush and healthy than the other. Well, even that, and it also it just could lead to ultimately just, you know, structural issues, more susceptible to wind throw when you have a not, you know, if you have an asymmetrical root system, that can just make them sometimes a little less structurally sound. Um, when we're talking about ornamental trees, not as big of a deal, but if you happen to be planting an oak tree or a sycamore or something this fall, um, you know, that's going to be a big tree one day. So you want it to have as big and symmetrical and round as a root system as possible. 
And like you said, breaking up that soil really well, crumble it through your fingers, whatever you need to do to be able to backfill that hole. And when you say don't plant too deeply, what's a sign to us looking at the base of a trunk that it's been planted too deep? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, right at the base where we call the root collar. So you'll kind of see a slight texture change where it turns from the trunk of the tree into the top of that root collar. Some species are a little easier to see than others, but you'll see a swelling and a little texture change. You want to see that up above ground level, especially if it's a larger containerized tree with more weight on it. You got to remember when you water that in, it's going to settle a oh, little bit. Right. So if it's a big like 30 gallon tree, plant it maybe an inch above grade. If it's like a five-gallon tree, just plant it right at grade. Probably not going to be a ton of settling. All right. Uh, Seth, I'm actually going to hang you over until uh, I want to keep talking to you because I have a few more questions for you. So hang tight for a few minutes. Got to get to news, weather, and traffic. Keep listening to WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Halfway through the show and taking great calls, great questions from you. 404-872-0750. In just a moment, we will talk to Melissa and Decula. Question about Bermuda grass, Texan Holly Springs. Something he wants to plant that I might not encourage him to plant. So we'll, we'll find out all of that. But I'm bringing back uh, Seth Hawkins from the Georgia Forestry Commission. We're in the middle of a great conversation um, about trees, and you were talking about uh, establishment, not planting them too deeply. This is the time of year to go and plant them, though, Seth. But talking about whether it's a five-gallon tree, something a little bit larger, how important it is to ensure that you haven't planted too deeply. You can still see that root collar, that root flare above ground. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Again, that's that's the number one uh, mistake that I see made with tree planting is uh, they get put, you know, just too deep. Um, and so what basically happens is the tree just feels suffocated. A lot of its gas exchange happens at the top of that root system, at that root flare. And so the tree just basically thinks it's, it's planted too deep. It, it realizes that and starts trying to raise its root system. Then you start getting these little circling roots around the base of the tree. So planting too deep just kind of makes the tree it's going to leaf off early it's going to leaf out late it's just always going to kind of be struggling so it's something really important to look out for if you're going to do anything right with planting a tree just make sure it's planted nice and shallow i always like to tell folks when you walk in the woods what do you see at the bottom you see a nice buttress you see that thing nice and shallow up out of the ground so Mm -hmm. okay and it doesn't really matter whether we are you know buying trees this season uh, bald and burlapped versus containerized, kind of the same idea for soil prep and planting, right? Yeah, yeah. The the big differences are going to be obviously the size of the hole you dig for a bald and burlap tree. So you want your hole to be at least twice as wide as the root ball you're putting into the hole. So you can see if it's a five-gallon tree, maybe not a huge hole. A 30-gallon container tree is getting bigger. If you're talking about a two-inch caliper bald and burlap tree, obviously that's going to be a pretty substantial hole. The big differences there are with a containerized tree, there's a lot more circling roots usually to undo. So just, you know, take those and try to gently tease those out. Sometimes you do have to take a grub saw and cut some larger circling roots out of a container root ball. Uh, With bald and burlap, the big things are just make sure it's even more shallow because, with you know, you're talking three to 500 pounds sometimes on those trees, maybe even more. When you, that's going to settle even more. So if you're planting B and B, sometimes I'll plant those almost two inch with this root flare up above grade. Wow. Water it in really good. When I say really good, I mean like 
flood the thing. There's going to be <laughs> runoff. It's going to be a puddle. It's going to look like you're, you're just bringing the 40-year flood to it. But um, but that's what that's going to do is flush those air pockets out, ensure nice root-to-soil contact down inside that, that plant and hole, and it should make for a lot happier, healthier start for the tree. Now, after um, we really burlap, oh, oh, well, once we irrigate it that well, and we've got some puddling, or we've got some, you know, water pooling at the soil surface. Once all of that drains down, are we going to have to move any soil kind of back into place? Will it have shifted around a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes after you do that, it's a little bit of a muddy adventure. But you might want to, you know, you might have some just basically some washout from from doing yeah. all that watering. Ideally, you water it nice and slow. Um, ideally, um, but if you do happen to have some runoff, just Make sure you don't have any roots exposed directly to the air and just get everything nice and kind of sloped away from that root flare. Um, if you are going to build a soil ring, a little basin to hold water, um, you know, I don't normally do that just because I like to, I want that water to run away from the base of the tree to my feeder roots that are growing out away from the stem. If you do build a soil ring or a basin, just make sure to tear that down after that first growing season. Go back and just scrape that out flat because at that point the roots should be getting out past that basin. Yeah, I see those. So they're not necessarily wrong. That's just a different way of doing it, but it doesn't need to stay. I just always get concerned because if they get left, what can happen is the roots will grow up to the surface of that berm and then stick out the backside. And then all of a sudden you've got more surface roots in your lawn. Oh, all yeah. Of a sudden. No, we don't want that. Okay. And then what did you start to say about bald and burlap? Oh, with bald and burlap, you know, there's a lot of different takes on, um, uh, you know, on how much of that burlap and that cage to take off. Um, you know, I've seen folks take the entire basket off, um, but I've also seen that make the root balls fall apart as you're trying to work it into the hole. Mm-hmm. I've also seen folks not take any of that off. And I yeah. have um, I've pulled enough dead trees up out of the ground with the old rusty basket to know that that does have some impact, yeah, I think, on gosh, the trees. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the International Society of Arboriculture Specs is just to try to get, you know, at least half, two-thirds of that cage and that burlap off. Again, I mentioned that 18 inches number earlier. That's always my goal. I want to get it in the hole and then dress it, at least get at least that top 18 inches of the burlap and the cage off just to allow those roots to get out of that root ball and start growing out. I mean, that cage, we're talking, we probably need some kind of wire cutters or something to really get that off like it needs to be, right? Uh- Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I carry um, one of my tree planting tools is a set of bolt cutters mm-hmm. for that reason right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then with containerized trees, Seth, do we need to get rid of the soil that it comes to us with from the nursery? People are always amazed at how rough I am with a containerized root ball. Um, but again, it's just inherent in the way you grow a tree in a pot. You're going to have circling roots. Mm-hmm. So it's really important once they start that circling pattern Typically, they'll stay in that circling pattern. So this is our chance to get those, again, growing radially out as spokes from the tree. So, you know, folks are always amazed at how rough I am with it, because I'll kind of take it and beat it up. In that process, I do lose some of the, quote, you know, nursery soil that came with it. But, you know, as long as you're taking that soil and just mixing it in with the native soil that's around it, um, but you don't want to go to the point of beating the root ball to the point you take all the dirt off of it. So. Okay. And just make sure anything that comes out of that pot, just make sure if it gets loose away from the root ball that it's just mixed in really well with the surrounding soil. All right. And every Saturday for the last month or so, Seth has joined us with, with an update on the Georgia Leaf Watch and leaf color in North Georgia. Uh, peak was last weekend. So now, of course, we're at the point, Seth, where we have all the leaves that are falling uh, in the landscape, around the house, whatever. So what's your recommendations on, you know, I've been harping on that, leaving the leaves, don't bag them and, and give them to the, the trash company. Uh, that's, I mean, that's liquid gold. It's actually really good nutrients that are free to you. Um, but mulching the leaves, not mulching the leaves, what say you? 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different approaches. It really depends on what you're wanting to do with it. So, you know, in an ideal world, you know, those leaves that fell below that tree are the nutrients, the exact set of nutrients and fertilizer that that tree needs that drop that leaf. So, in the ideal world, you could just leave them um, and just let them sit there. And, and, you know, ideally, just let, again, let it totally sit because that does provide a lot of habitat for a lot of native insects, luna moths, a lot of different caterpillars and stuff actually overwinter in those fallen leaves. And so mulching them will break them down a lot faster. So if you run over them with the mower, you know, run it up into your bag, your mower bag, and then use them in your flower bed, obviously it's going to break down a lot faster. Mm-hmm. But also there is, you know, the you're giving up the idea that you're, are taking away some habitat for native insects. So, you know, again, you know, I just encourage everybody, if you just don't bag them, like you said, mulch yeah. them, put them in your flower beds, around your trees, but try to keep them on, the, on your property if you can, because that's what your soil needs. And there's a whole ecosystem. You talk about overwintering insects. I mean, a whole ecosystem that loves living under those leaves and is kept safe and kind of nice and cozy just from leaving them where they are. Yeah, and some, you know, some insects, their, their eggs overwinter, some um, the pupae, you know, overwinter in there. They're already hatched, and they just kind of live in that first instar of their life. Um, but, yeah, and so it's a lot of our native insects, um, and the, a lot of those native insects play a huge role in, you know, fighting off non-native insects, helping to just keep the natural balance of our native ecosystem in, you know, in place. Good advice. That's really some good food for thought and some good things to think about. Well, hey, Seth, thanks for hanging uh, over with me for an extra five or ten minutes. We covered some good ground. Uh, no pun intended. Um, but I, I want to see pictures of your ginkgo tree when you plant it. Will you email me so I can share it with people? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I got a house, um, I'm ashamed to say, as a forester without a single tree on the entire property. <laughs> oh, no. um, I just bought the house, so I'm, I'm getting after it. Um, as soon right. as I get some trees planted, I'll let everybody know. Good. Sure. Well, Seth Hawkins with the Georgia Forestry Commission, how can folks find y'all online? Yeah, please uh, go to gatrees.org. It's our website. Um, there, If you go on there, um, also on our YouTube channel, if you just go to YouTube, search Georgia Forestry Commission. Tons of great resources, awesome videos. There's a video called Planting Containerized Trees on our YouTube channel. And it's actually myself going start to finish. You plant the tree, water it in, you mulch it, all that good stuff. See, Um, And then we have that broken down to subtopics as well and other smaller videos too. All right. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much. And tell Stacia I said hello. Will do. Thank you so much, Ashley. All right. Thanks, Seth. Always good to talk to you. That is some great information, folks. I hope you took all of that in. And I will post the conversation that uh, Seth and I just had as its own separate deal uh, as a podcast so you can really take that good advice and get off to the best start possible with any new tree you're putting in the landscape. All right. Out to calls we go. Want to talk to Tex calling from Holly Springs, my neighbor. Hello, Tex. How are you? Hi, Fred Millen. What's going can on? you hear me? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, what's going on? I'm just uh, out here delivering stuff. <laughs> okay, all right. So far, so good? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what I want to ask you about is the, uh, and I heard your little sideways comment about you were going to advise me not to <laughs> plan it earlier, but uh, the deal is is that I don't, I don't like neighbors. Okay. And I like to put this, I want to put this uh, stuff up to uh, block any, to keep my privacy. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And uh, I know you you don't think I ought to plant it, probably because it's like Lariope or AKA monkey grass that just goes wild and takes over. But I think it'd be real good under my oak trees because my oak trees are tall and, uh, 
therefore it loses the privacy sometimes. Yeah. So, but I let the limbs grow low so they cover as much as they can, but you know, still there again. Yeah. So I don't, I don't even know that we've mentioned it, Tex, what you're thinking about planting privacy from those neighbors, bamboo. Oh, it makes me shudder. It makes me shudder. Um, I get it. It fills in fast. It does provide a lot of privacy. It just goes absolutely nuts, which is which is maybe a good thing for you and your neighbors at this moment in time. But the property owners uh, succeeding you are not going to be happy. And it is going to be a really big time and effort and costly task to get that out of there. So when we come back, I want to just throw out some other options. Um, there are some other things that will grow in just as lush, just as full, and actually can stay maintained. And you've got that full bank of privacy that you're after. So stick around, hang tight, drive safe while you're out there. We'll be right back on Green and Growing on WSB. I can go anywhere with you. You can play me on your phone. On your smart speaker, if you're out uh, on the golf course, out riding around, of course, your car radio, the radio at home, 404-872-0750. Weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, cloudy and breezy, but a high of around 77. Clouds move out tomorrow, but then they're kind of back for Monday, but highs near 80. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. I'm going to get right back to Texas question, and I have some uh, things to propose to avoid planting bamboo, but I do have some words about bamboo here in just a minute. But number one, uh, the window on seeding a fescue lawn is starting to close. You want to get that done in the next week or two. Mow first, aerate to achieve the best seed-to-soil contact, and you have to be consistent with irrigating the new lawn if there's no rain in the forecast. Keep the leaves off of that new grass. Just rake them off to the side around trees and other things. Number two, an easy tip for beginning gardeners, plant pansies. You want them about 10 inches apart. You fertilize once a month, deadhead them, and they're good to go for the next several months. And number three, you can dig up caladium, elephant ear, and dahlia bulbs now. Store them in boxes if you need to over the wintertime with peat moss or perlite, even crumpled up newspaper, something that's going to help dry them out. If you want to overwinter them in the landscape like I do, cut the stems down, cover with an overturned gallon pot for the wintertime when it's really cold, or just cover everything over thickly with pine straw or leaves or something like that. If it's a somewhat mild winter, they will do okay. Okay, so Tex wants to plant bamboo. You can. You absolutely can, but it's really got to be done right. You've got to dig a trench. You've got to dig a very, very deep trench. Have something in there, like some kind of metal or concrete or something that's going to keep those roots in check. So that's a lot of prep to do if you absolutely insist on bamboo. There are a couple of different varieties, too, that may be more slow-growing than others. So you got to research that really carefully because before you know it, you'll have a mess on your hands. But some other things that I would like to propose uh, for privacy screening, you're not going to see your neighbors at all if this is done right. So looking for something under those tall oaks, you know, to fill in the gap, to fill in that height where there are no limbs, right? Uh, We could think about a magnolia. There are some varieties. Little Gem is one I'm thinking. I think Teddy Bear that may stay a little bit shorter than your traditional magnolia. Evergreen leaves, so you're always going to have coverage. Arborvitae and cryptomeria, um, again, kind of that conifer look. Uh, Cryptomeria may turn kind of a rust color in the fall. This time of year, you do see some of them starting to turn, but they're going to keep their needles on. Sasanqua camellia. 
a flowering privacy hedge. Again, that's going to stay evergreen and filled in and lush. And then hollies are a good option as well. They're fast growing if you consider maybe a Burford holly or Yopon holly. I mean, we're talking 15 to 25 feet high and they're a good spread too. So a holly is probably even going to be a little more dense than bamboo if you wanted a sound barrier as well and for that privacy barrier. So text, uh, give those a consideration. Let me know what you land on. If you want to dig a big old trench for that bamboo, get started now. It can be done. You just got to do it right. 404-872-0750. Back with more of your calls and then Pike Nursery at 830. Coming up on Green and Growing.